The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Museum Life with Carol Bossert. Museums are important whether we work in them, for them, or simply love visiting them. Throughout history, people have collected things and put them on display to enjoy. But today's museums offer much more than rooms filled with stuff. They provide places to learn and share experiences with family and friends, as well as sanctuaries to unplug, rest, and refresh. On today's show, we'll discuss how museums can remain relevant and sustainable, reach out to new audiences, and remain attuned to cultural and technological trends. Now, here's your host, Carol Bossert. Good morning. Uh, Happy spring. Uh, This is Carol Bossert. You're listening to Museum Life. And I have another great show and a wonderful guest uh, to share with you today. Uh, Franklin Bagnoni uh, is the executive director of the Historic House Trust of New York City. And he has over 20 years of collaborative leadership in nonprofit management. Uh, His work includes a wide spectrum of, of organizations ranging from private ownership to complex government, private, multiple agreement stakeholders, and he consults and lectures. He's taught nationally um, for an extensive list of historic sites and museums, historic houses. Uh, he is also the uh, the writer uh, that he is co- he is the author of a book he is co-authoring with Deborah Ryan called The Anarchist Guide to Historic House Museums. And if the title alone won't get you to go out and buy the book when it's published by <laughs> Left Coast Press uh, here in, um, uh, I think, uh, this coming fall, uh, Frank's discussion and commitment to history and historic sites will uh, make you want to be a follower of his. Uh, we will talk more about how you can follow Frank and his, uh, his mission to save history one, his, uh, one house at a time. But I also, before I introduce Frank, um, Frank shared with me um, earlier this week a very important and probably little-known part of his uh, bio- uh, biography, and that is in 1978, he was a Tar Heel junior historian <laughs> who built a model of a Victorian house in Charlotte, North Carolina, out of Linguini, which is, of course is very appropriate, uh, and going back to, to your, an, uh, reflecting and respecting your ancestry, uh, uh, Frank. So without further ado, welcome to the show. I really appreciate you ha- having you on today. Thank you so much. And first of all, thank you for inviting me. I'm really um, flattered. And if I can, for just a moment, Deborah Ryan, um, who really has been one of my um, longest friends, is really the researcher and collaborator on the Anarchist Guide to Historic House Museums. And we might talk a bit more about where the ideas came from, but um, once they were kind of formulated, uh, I asked Deb to kind of come on board, and she really has been a substitute 
part of the um, of the concept. Wonderful, wonderful, and just I I believe I understand that the book is not yet published, but it will be available through Left Coast Press in uh, the fall of this year. Is that is that your understanding? Yes, fingers crossed it all happens. <laughs> okay, fabulous. Uh, and then we will have virtual balloons going off everywhere and I can't, I I can't I can't wait to uh, to read it. But Frank, as we get started in our conversation today, could you just share a little bit about your background, like what you were trained to do and then how your, you know, how that shifted to what you're doing now? Sure. So I have a background undergraduate in architecture and anthropology. I actually was on a, um, an archaeological dig in southern Italy um, for a summer, and uh, then I went to Columbia University for my master's degree in architectural design. I had my own uh, firm um, with a partner down there, and uh, then I moved up to Philadelphia, where I kind of jumped into historic preservation, uh, working on several historic sites there. And then I've landed here in New York City, running the Historic House Trust. Great, great. Um, and and when you're not doing your job or listening to your dog, um, what do you Sorry. do for fun? No, no, no worries. Uh, this is live radio. So, uh, what what is it that you love to do? Well. It's exact. It, honestly, it's exactly what I am doing, which is investigating ideas, thinking about new ways of kind of anticipating where culture is taking things. I'm also a sculptor, and as a sculptor, I put together disparate parts into kind of objects and artifacts. And and I and I see the work that I do with historic houses in very much the same way. It's it's kind of taking these pieces and putting them together. Um, in new, interesting ways. And that's very much the kind of mindset that I bring to this research and the Anarchist Guide. That's very interesting. Are you still working in the Linguini medium? <laughs> Not Linguini, but certainly found objects, um, um, assemblage of, of kind of um, spare parts. And it really started while I was uh, working on active architectural projects. And uh, a lot of the work we did were additions to um, older historic buildings, and a lot of um, kind of pieces of those historic buildings were thrown out. And so uh, I would take those pieces and kind of stockpile them in my basement until I finally uh, got the idea that I was going to make something out of them. And so, so really my sculpture is a, is a direct connection to my love of architecture and of domestic dwellings. Oh, how very interesting. Uh, have, have you done any sh uh, uh, public shows? Can we see the work? Oh, sure. I have a website, and uh, I have shown, although since I've moved to New York City, my job is fairly demanding with uh, 23 historic house museums uh, and a lot happening here, um, that my, my work has gotten much smaller, which is interesting, uh, but they've become kind of um, gone from large furniture pieces where I imagined uh, these pieces actually becoming part of historic spaces to small objects that might rest on a piece of furniture. So it's kind of interesting, the evolution of the sculpture. That, that is very interesting, and I'm interested in the, more, in the smaller pieces because they'd fit in my little house a little <laughs> bit better here in, here in town. So, uh, uh, well, that's, I, that's great. That's, that, uh, I, it's these 
other dimensions of people that we sometimes lose uh, as we're always you know, running down the road talking about what what we do um, to earn our living. And, of course, it's always so great when what we do is what we love. Uh, but well, there know, are a lot, of, a lot of people ask me, you know, just kind of describe my personality, who I am. And I always, I always just kind of say I'm a gay, dyslexic, southern trash picker. And that, in a way, just really kind of encapsulates um, where I'm coming from. I'm this person who, who really does look for those in-between um, artifacts, the, those kind of marginalized pieces of, of either a real thing or, or a kind of intangible cultural thing. And, and my interest is to synthesize those um, into new, new ways of um, thinking. That's great, Frank. I, and you've just given me a new uh, new idea for a question that I think I'm going to start asking uh, future guests. <laughs> so everybody be warned. I'm going to ask you to describe your personality in five words or less. <laughs> but, I, but, but probably, Frank, no one's going to be able to top that one. <laughs> it's, that's pretty, pretty fine. Um, okay, so uh, so let's not talk about politics, although that would be so much fun. Let's talk a little bit about the Anarchist Guide, and and how did how did that come about? It's a, I mean, I'll make it a short story for you. Uh, of course, as anyone who loves history and house museums, on vacation you'll you'll kind of seek out those um, house museums in the area. And I was on vacation, um, uh, and my daughter, one of my daughters, Claire, was with me, and we were visiting house museum after house museum, and she loves history just as much as I do. And uh, there was a point where we were in a house museum in the summer, so it was hot, and typically you enter the foyer and you're standing there for a while while the person is describing the genealogy and all of the kind of dates and and uh, and uh, we go into the front parlor, and the same thing occurs, and everyone's kind of shifting from leg to leg, and we're sweating, and, and this was not the kind of experience that we really wanted on our vacation. And as the tour guide was leaving the room, my daughter looked at me, and there was this painting on the wall of this woman, and it was really funny looking. Uh, and she looked at me and made the face of the woman in the painting, and it was really hilarious. And so I secretly pulled out my smartphone, photographed my daughter um, uh, making this face with the painting behind her. The tour guide saw us. She shamed my daughter, shamed me, made us walk in front with her and made sure that we didn't get too close to any collection items. Well, I, I, was, I, I didn't know what to say. Uh, we followed through on the tour. And as we were in the rest of the house tour, um, the other members of the group, the tour group, the guests, were looking at us and smiling and rolling their eyes, you know, just to kind of say that they understood what had just happened. Um, and it occurred to me that, that this was probably one of the most interesting aspects of the tour. And, and once we got into the car, I asked my daughter to drive, and I pulled out my red pen and my small little notepad, and I wrote on the top, why do historic house museums suck? <laughs> and I just started writing what these um, kind of frustrating thoughts were. I actually still have that notepad. Those ideas are fundamentally what evolved into the Anarchist Guide to Historic House Museums. So it really is, and I say it all the time, the gift of frustration pushed someone who loves history, loves historic house museums, um, 
to, to kind of really seriously and substantively kind of reevaluate what the issue is. Because if someone like me and my daughter are leaving a house museum frustrated, then there's a real problem. And so that's where the ideas came from, that, that hot summer day. That is a fabulous story, and I, I have been uh, on those hot uh, summer <laughs> <laughs> tours with, with my uh, family as well, and, uh, uh, and, and I've, I've had those, those looks from my son who says, you know, <laughs> you do this for a living, you know, why? Why, do you, why are you here? Um, so I, so I, I feel for you completely, and uh, good thing that you weren't using a selfie stick because you'd probably be thrown out. <laughs> exactly. So, so Frank, since yes. it's just you and me and uh, about 400 listeners right now, um, so why do historic house museums suck? Well, you know, it's interesting, and, and I'm jumping way forward to answer this question because um, you know, I just wrote down what I thought my ideas were, but a good part of this research has been to define what those elements are that are frustrating, that are not compelling. And really, through our research, we, we came down to kind of five fundamental critiques, um, and that really becomes the kind of structural, conceptual basis for the anarchist guide. Um, and so it ranges everywhere from... Um, comments that funders have made to me, to comments and um, kind of uh, responses um, for guests and visitors, as well as things that I have felt myself. And so the five critiques, um, critique um, one is really about the preservation. Whenever you go to a funder, a lot of funders are stopping any uh, preservation um, contributions because they consider it a black hole. And, and there's this kind of um, level of purity about preservation and restoration, um, which really has, um, I think, become difficult for house museums to maintain. And so what's occurring is that a lot of funders are saying that we can't keep spending this money on these houses um, because as soon as we um, give you this money, something else is falling apart. It's a true critique. The second critique is um, that once people walk through the house museums, they kind of leave wondering, did someone really live there? Because they're so over-curated that they're about the objects and they're not about the environment. They're not about um, kind of the living within the house. Um, that, that the very nature of what a house museum is supposed to be conveying is not conveying it. And that is that a real person lived there in a real way. Um, uh, the third critique is that basically the experiences are boring, that, that comparatively to what people on a Saturday afternoon on vacation can be doing and they choose to come to a house museum, that those, that those experiences are not at the kind of compelling level that one um, would like them to be. And that people like, like us would like to take our kids to these places so that they would learn to appreciate them. And there are new kind of... Um, qualities and traits about those experiences that, um, that are missing when you go to a house museum. And the fourth critique is that house museums tend to be isolationist. We hear this a lot, that um, people who live right next door to house museums didn't even know it was a house museum, didn't even know it was open to the public, and have never been there. 
or if they've been there, it was when they were in elementary school when there was no reason to ever come back. So the level of communication from a house museum usually is far below what other cultural organizations are doing. So just the use of social media. And I joke that to a lot of house museums, um, the idea of communication is a handwritten um, note taped to the front door of the house. And then, and then the, the final critique is that house museums have traditionally shied away from real-life, current, relevant, community-based issues, um, and that most house museums tend to be um, considered kind of elitist, um, fact-based uh, cultural entities that, um, how many times have you heard this, that it's like stepping back in time? And, and so what this does, as far as we're concerned, the critique that we've heard is that stepping back in time is not helping the house museums. In fact, it's divorcing the experience and the potential um, usefulness of a house museum with the community. Um, and so through those five critiques, that's where the anarchist guide kind of grows from. That's, uh, gr that is a wonderful synopsis. Thank you, uh, thank you, Frank. And uh, I want to delve into all five of these a little bit more. But before I do that, we are going to go ahead and take our first break a little bit early so we don't break the flow. But uh, please stay tuned because Frank and I have a lot more to talk about. Uh, he has a lot of very honest and real uh, information to give us as museum professionals and particularly uh, for those of us who truly love historic homes. So stay with us. We will be right back. And remember, you can always reach me at carol.bossert at verizon.net. Let me know what you think of the show and what topics and guests we should be showcasing because this is a show uh, for museums and about museums. Uh, we will be back in a moment. This is Carol Bossert for Museum Life. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Women can live their lives to the fullest and realize their dreams for growth and greatness. Georgine Summers knows. As host of On the Edge, Georgine will give you powerful tools and rules to help you change direction in your life and get rid of the fears that stop you from living your dreams. Stretch your boundaries and become the amazing person you've always wanted to be. On the Edge with Georgine Summers airs live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. In the spirit of Have Couch, Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. 
If you are interested in real estate in America's largest city or anywhere, be sure to listen for Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Although our focus is on Manhattan and other real estate markets in and around New York City, we'll have plenty of information that will help you successfully buy, sell, and close a transaction no matter where you are in the world. Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco can be heard every Tuesday at 9 a.m. in New York, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. This is Carol Bossert. You're listening to Museum Life, and I am here today with Frank Vagnoni, uh, who is the executive director of the Historic House Trust of New York City and also the co-author of the Anarchist Guide to Historic House Museums. And right before we went on break, Frank was telling us sort of the five major critiques of historic house museums, and uh, and then I uh, promised that we would get into the, uh, those those uh, critiques in a little bit more detail but while we were on break Frank and I were chatting a little bit and and I was just saying how refreshing it is for someone to be so open and honest about the challenges of these very important uh, houses uh, and and um, and museum types and Frank you were saying that that you are in a uh, really great situation uh, to do that and I was just hoping that you might share your your response with our listeners Sure. I think um, for anyone who's involved in the nonprofit field, you understand that um, you're really only as good as your board, your board of directors. And there's no way that not only this research could be um, happening, um, but also my, my ability to speak so openly about historic house museums if I didn't have such a sophisticated uh, board of directors who understood that critiquing the kind of experience and the, and the issues involved with um, house museums doesn't mean we're critiquing the concept of a house museum. What, what they want is for house museums to survive. And so what they're doing is allowing me to really honestly address these issues with the, with the long-term hope that not only our 23 historic house museum sites um, thrive, but that what we're doing can really help other house museums. And so it's not just that support from the board, but I also have incredible support from the staff at the house museum. Olivia Cothran is one of, um, one of the um, HHT staff that has really been substantively involved with um, the Anarchist Guide. And as my board president says, landing the plane. Um, and that has always been our, our intent, which is to take these kind of synthesized concepts and really land the plane, make these things useful for as many um, um, kind of house museums as possible. Well, that, I, that uh, makes, makes perfect sense to me. 
let's but let's delve into this just a little bit more i mean you you identify five significant critiques and and i'm just going to um uh what i was hearing is that one of the biggest issues is historic houses are historic and that means that they're old and they fall apart and they have to be repaired and that uh too many feels like a black hole because you just can't uh uh repair them in a way perhaps a a more modern way that that would uh you know mean that they don't have to be repaired for another 50 100 years right, and then right. you know and and um so is that how how real is that i mean are historic houses sort of doomed from a uh from a funder's perspective how can a historic houses make a better case well it's interesting because um, that is in fact a critique most historic houses are made out of traditional materials that deteriorate quickly. Um, and most historic houses that are wood need to be painted often. And because of my architectural background, I really understand that kind of preservation, um, conservation issue. Um, the real issue, the, the real thought here is if we pull back from the preservation context, what we have to understand is that we've, as, as a kind of genre, historic house museums have tried to kind of keep preservation and all that's involved with preservation secret. Um, and so we, we say pull back the curtain. I mean, these things cost so much money. And how many times have you, you been to a house museum where they keep the door shut and they say that room's under renovation? Or we're doing renovation on the West Wing, we can't go in there. Um, and I think one of the big issues with preservation is that it's just not being talked about. It's not part of public awareness. So um, when they show up and they're in elementary school and then they bring their grandkids back 50 years later, it looks exactly the same as it did back in elementary school. So as far as they're concerned, there was no life to preservation. There was no kind of um, fluidity to what was occurring, no cost involved. And so when they start to hear that, for instance, you know, falling waters um, kind of collapsing um, cantilever cost $11.5 million, or the Gamble House rafter tails cost, you know, um, $3.5 million. I mean, they kind of gasp. I mean, who's, who's going to fund that kind of black hole? Well, from our perspective, those things need to become integrated, fully integrated with an interpretive notion of the house itself. And that doesn't exist right now. It's very rare um, that preservation and the story of preservation and the activity of preservation becomes fully integrated with the experience and interpretation. So to answer your question, I have to say we need to um, kind of um, dovetail it with everything else that's going on rather than the necessary evil so those educational programs can happen. Does that make sense? That makes that makes perfect sense, and and I see so many parallels be uh, with uh, art museums uh, mm -hmm. because it takes a lot of money to conserve uh, a painting or uh, the uh, pr uh, president's wives' inaugural ball gowns that the Smithsonian needs to be yeah. always worrying about. I mean that is that is incredibly fascinating, and I have been privileged to be able to go out to the uh, to the textile uh, area and conservation lab and. And, and listen to those stories, but I am a uh, a, a honored few. You know, you, you're not going to read that story uh, and in the gallery. And I think no, that's, that's too bad. Yeah. 
That's absolutely true. And, you know, a very quick story is at Morstermel Mansion, um, Executive Director Carol Ward, who's really fabulous, um, we were putting on an immersive theater experience there, kind of testing um, one of the ideas from Anarchist Guide. And um, it was about Aaron Burr, and she said, well, the only thing we really have that we can bring out is a painting of Aaron Burr, but it's, it's been, there's a hole in it, and I don't want to show it because it, it has a hole in it. And I had to kind of, um, kind of convince her and others that, no, that's precisely what we want. We want people to see these things in a kind of condition that is real. Um, and so that painting was brought out, and it was leaned up against one of the pieces of furniture and became instrumental in that whole theater piece. Um, and since then, that painting has been repaired. But, but the process of seeing that painting and then repairing it um, became part of the interpretive notion of the house. Well, and it reminds me, too, uh, uh, there is so much great applied technology, science, mathematics, engineering to preservation and conservation work that I find utterly fascinating. And it, it, I think it also offers an, an, an applied and practical use of science and mathematics that might interest uh, more people. No, you're absolutely right. I was at uh, Stratford Hall um, in Virginia, and uh, we, they were showing me this incredible house. And we walked into the dining room, which was gutted, and they were, they were moving a wall, I think, maybe a foot and a half or two foot one way because their period of interpretation needed to take it to that direction. Um, and I just asked because I was fascinated by this room. I said, what do your visitors think? And they said, we can't get them out of this room. They want to spend more time in this room talking about what we're doing and why we're doing it than the other period rooms. Um, and, and I will say that, that that is one thing that we hear over and over and over again in our research with anarchist tags and things like that. People are fascinated by the process of preservation, um, and they want to be involved in it. S uh, similarly to the people who get, are interested in archaeological digs or, yeah. or, uh, yeah, absolutely. or, or uh, any kind of, um, of uh, scientific research, That's very, that is very, very interesting, and I hope that is a lesson that, uh, that historic house uh, boards and, uh, and executive directors are, are hearing. Let's move on to what I think is, is uh, perhaps, well, to me it's always been a little more problematic, is that up until this point, uh, historically, um, excuse the pun, we have in this country and, and you know, in, in Western Europe as well, we have preserved the things from the highest echelons of society. You know, uh, uh, to use it today's vernacular, we preserve only the 1% of the 1%. Yeah, and that's true. that, and, and, uh, you know, maybe we would like to know how other people in, in the community lived, but by and large, um, other than perhaps the slave quarters at Mount Vernon, um, we they haven't been preserved. There have been no records. We just don't know. Uh, so here we have these historic houses that, that have great stories to tell, but they have great stories to tell of a small elitist group of people. So how do we move beyond that? Well, there's several answers to that question. One is that um, we have only chosen to tell the stories and interpretations of that narrow group of people. You and I and everyone on this call knows that there were a lot of people who made that 
1% of 1% capable, even in just time, capable to do what they were doing. So, and a lot of house museums are starting to recognize that, that they need to expand the guest list is what Deb and I call it. Um, and that is just start to include the, the, the margins, the wider issues. Um, and it's, as you say, it's not just, for instance, slavery, um, although I have gone to um, uh, antebellum houses, plantations, where um, there's no mention of slavery or they um, say that they were servants. Um, and, uh, and, so, and I also have been to places that have interpreted slavery, but you go into the interpreted rooms for the slaves, and those rooms are just as curated and clean and beautiful as the main rooms in the house. So even, even someone who, who is interpreting these kind of different, these other um, characters, I'm not so sure that they're being um, fully, fully thought of in terms of their interpretations. Um, and, and that ties us directly in, Carol, with communities that surround the houses. Um, because in most cases, the historic house museums don't rest in communities that are represented by the narrative of the house. They could, you could pull in narratives that represent those populations that surround the historic house today, but generally that doesn't happen. And so what you have, and we call this reverse affinity groups, that you find out who those populations are that, that are not engaging the house, what are the reasons for that um, kind of disjuncture, this dislocation of engagement, and most likely it's because the story you're telling is not relevant to the community. And so I, I would say that um, it is possible very easily to pull in other populations and other characters and other stories. It, it takes a kind of philosophic shift. So it's not like it costs a lot of money. It's a philosophic movement for house museums. Well, and it takes time uh, and commitment. I mean, if you have been on, uh, if there has been a narrative uh, that, uh, over-curated narrative, that the, uh, the docent or the guide learns, then that means that someone has to write a new narrative and the guide has to learn that new narrative. Uh, and that that's can not only does that take time and commitment, as you say, sort of starting with the philosophical shift, but that can be uh, uncomfortable for people oh, who no, have been doing yeah, things, no, yeah. you know, the, in one way. And now you're saying, well, let's do it differently. No, you're absolutely right. And um, uh, David Young from Clifton, the executive director, really incredibly um, uh, uh, powerful thinker when it comes to interpretation in historic house museums, um, he has taken it um, really as a kind of strategic vision to expand Cliveden's um, interpretation to do exactly what you and I are speaking of right now. And uh, he sent me a paper that he wrote um, where he really described the difficulty in engaging the communities around the house. No one said this is easy, but I certainly um, believe, and I know that, that Deb believes and um, the Historic House Trust believes that it is necessary and absolutely essential to the long-term stewardship of historic house museums to engage in this kind of community dialogue. Well, and uh, with dialogue being the key. Uh, yes. And ongoing dialogue. Uh, 
it, it reminds me of, of some of the phrases that, that others have used on this program, which is that, you know, the role of museums uh, is to work with their community, not necessarily for their community. And when you understand that semantic shift, uh, relationships, honest uh, and long-term relationships can begin to be built. That's right. But as you really... Um aptly point out, that, that that shift, as I say, it's philosophic, that shift is a, is a really kind of, um, it's almost Sisyphus, you know, it's, it's like really pushing, pushing that rock up the hill. This is a difficult thing considering that house museums um, were, were really started as a kind of um, uh, presentation of what it meant to be American, so a kind of nationalist um, in, in many ways, propaganda mode. Um, I don't think propaganda in an absolutely negative sense. I just think that, I mean, if you read Domesticating History um, by West, I mean, it, it makes it very clear that house museums started out um, as, a, as a kind of learning, learning tool for uh, populations that, that, that um, needed to be um, brought into what it meant to be American at the time. And and a belief that uh, being an American was a homogenization. That's right. Absolutely. And that's one of the reasons why we have, from house museum to house museum, um, the same kind of setup that the kind of pro professional standards have produced, and we call it this kind of beige experience, that there's a kind of, um, um, in, in a lot of cases, and, and of course, you know, I'm, I'm generalizing, but in a lot of cases, um, that there is this kind of um, homogeneity of experience between house museum and the same flip-top round table made of one piece of wood and the same settee. And, you know, you see it all the time because not only um, are the narratives similar, but the curation is similar with the similar furniture and all of that. Yes, there's a cadence. In fact, I uh, I will go into a historic house. I shouldn't really admit this on, on the air, but it's one of those fun little things that my husband and I do together because we love museums. Oh, well, I love museums and my husband loves me. Let's put it that way. And, uh, and we'll go into these places and all I have to do is begin the cadence of the historic house. And this was the chair and this was the couch. And I make it all up. And Doug yeah. is, Doug, Doug's role is to find out that one kernel of truth that I may have slipped in there. And, you know, that's how we've kept our marriage alive all these years. <laughs> well, it's absolutely true, especially for people like us that, that have seen so many house museums. But I will say that even people who aren't museum professionals that do see a lot of house, house museums um, have the same kind of um, reflection on those experiences. And, and many times I kind of wonder... Are we as house museum people not aware that our visitors are in on the joke, are, are in on that, that they see this? And that's, that's when I say, you know, that the emperor has no clothes. It's, it's almost as though um, kind of everything that we're spending all of our professional lives making sure is perfect and professionally standard um, to high quality isn't at all what our visitors want in the kind of experience at a house museum. So there's a real disconnect there. Well, you know, it also, it, we're going to have to go to break in a moment, but I, I wanted to get this in and you can think about it. it to me, uh, and I have docented uh, projects, I have led tours, uh, I started out my museum career working with small children and I didn't lose any, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's an extremely vulnerable spot. Uh, if, uh, you know, if, 
it would be easier to be a, prof- a professor behind the lectern than it is to be a docent. To me, being a good docent is more like being an actor. You have to be extremely vulnerable to connect on a human level with with the people that in a historic house are very close to you because those rooms are very tiny. And and, and then you do it again and again and again. And as, as humans, sometimes we just can't be that vulnerable, particularly to strangers. And I want wonder if that is a uh, part of just the being human uh, that it is it's hard to say well I don't know or what do you think or right, right, would right, you right. like to talk about this topic instead of the other uh, and and uh, that too not only do you need that sort of philosophical commitment from the top but you need that um, fearlessness on the part of the frontline staff. And I think sometimes we don't uh, acknowledge that or honor it. And I would say, I know we have to go to a break, but I would say that we've talked about that, the type of traits that um, we think docents should kind of um, have. But, But I also think it's coming from the top as well. The expectation for a docent is to have everything historically accurate and tell it as a script, even if it's not scripted. There is a correct narrative. Um, and that's one of the reasons why we're not getting a lot of younger people to be tour guides, because the methodology that our expectation um, is, is asking for does not fit a kind of more fluid, nuanced approach, which is exactly what we're discussing right now. Right. Very well said. And we will go to a quick break. And when we come back, more with Frank Vagnoni. And Frank, but before we go on break, uh, there are many ways that people can reach you. I know you have a, uh, a a blog called Twisted Preservation, twistedpreservation.com. Uh, you also are on, uh, on Facebook and LinkedIn as the... Uh, the Anarchist Guide to Historic House Museums. So even though the book isn't out yet, people can start communicating with you and learning some of these lessons now, right? Oh, that's absolutely true. And I do just want to say that um, the LinkedIn discussion group, which I really didn't think many people would be interested in, I started it in December of 2012. We now have well over 1,100 active international members. And this talks about the collaborative quality of historic house museum people. This is just one of the best places to discuss difficult, complex issues in house museums. And I'm the moderator of this discussion group, and I started off with really talking a lot or kind of commenting in this. But now I don't comment that often because there is such activity and there's such great ideas. A good number of the... um, comments are quoted in the Anarchist Guide book. So, so when I talk about the Anarchist Guide, I, what I really do is I'm talking about the kind of power of the collective mind for these people who are running house museums. And the LinkedIn discussion group is really the kind of center point of that place right now. Fabulous, fabulous. And we are going to take a short break and we'll be back with uh, more discussion about uh, saving history one house at a time. You're listening to Museum Life. This is Carol Bossert. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. 
VoiceAmerica.com. Tune in Tuesdays and join the credit master and consumer advocate, Mr. D, a.k.a. Bruce J. Danielson, and learn the whole truth about credit risk scoring, collectors, both kinds, credit bureaus, credit cards, tax liens, mortgages, and much more. Find out how to use accountability combat to protect yourself from becoming a victim and to fight back against corporate abusers, such as banksters who have taken unfair advantage of most of us. The Consumer Fightback Show educates consumers on how to find relief within today's onerous credit system. See you Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel. American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Do you feel like you are alone in a desert? Often we feel alone with no place to turn for help and guidance in our troubles that always seem to be so overwhelming. Stop. Take an hour each week to tune in to Stream in the Desert with Dr. Rita Huang. Dr. Rita will share stories of people just like you, intended for you to find some inspiration in their problems and solutions. The most important thing is that you are not alone. Others have been in the same place. Share some time with us every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific, and on demand on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. I'm here with Frank Bagnoni, the Executive Director of the Historic House Trust of New York City, and we've been talking anarchy. Uh, And right before we went uh, on break, we were talking about your, the listserv, Uh, but it reminds me, Frank, you're doing more than just moderating a listserv to get these ideas out. You're doing some very interesting workshops as well. Can you share a little bit about those? Sure. As part of the Anarchist Guide kind of process, um, uh, Deb and I have worked out, um, I think we have around 10 different kind of tools that are unique to historic house museums that start to address those five critiques that we were talking about early on in this conversation. And one of them is, uh, is a historic house museum workshop. And that is that when um, we're invited to house museums, um, and they allow to take down the barriers, let us use certain pieces of furniture. Um, we were in Knoxville, um, and uh, they allowed us to actually drink tea out of the um, um, uh, tea set. 
um, and to go from basement to attic, um, view everything, investigate. And so um, our point here is that these workshops with these anarchist tags, which allow people to write their comments and drop them exactly where they feel that thought, um, ties in a locational aspect to historic house museums that you don't normally get in a tour. And so um, a lot of the information that we've gained are from these house museum workshops that include not only museum professionals and students, but also walk-in visitors. And we've had people that we've invited that wouldn't normally come to a house museum. And so there's this kind of level of um, engagement that you would never be able to have otherwise at a house museum. That's, uh, and are these like a, a, a day, a half day? Right. Yeah, normally I, um, we will give the lecture in the morning and then we'll take the entire afternoon um, to run through the house and um, talk. And then we end the afternoon with a kind of a sit-down conversation and dialogue. And you and I were talking about how important dialogue is, is to sit there and, and, um, and understand what those issues are, what, what was positive about that experience and what they didn't like about that experience. So it's really useful. Interesting. Um, you know, a question that, it, that has come up uh, on, on this show as I've been talking with uh, particularly professionals who are focused on uh, digital media. We talked a little bit about you know, the, the importance of social media for developing conversations, but, but what's your, your thought or, or what, what, what are you observing with historic house museums who are trying to you know, bridge some of the these challenges and becoming more relevant and less isolationist and more, yeah, less yeah. boring um, in the use of technology. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in a way, and I say this all the time, this is just a, a, a perfect way for a small, tiny house museum to start playing with the big guys. I mean, I mean, um, the Historic House Trust's ability for social media equals that of any large museum. We are all on a level playing field. Um, and it's not necessarily how many people you have following you or liking you. It's the quality of those people that are following and liking you. And, and if it's very strategic with a house museum, then you really can elevate your profile as well as um, even start to shift public perception of what your house museum is like. And one of our thoughts about communication is that most communication is very formal with house museums. Um, and with the new social media forms, you have to be informal and chatty. Um, and we also know that when you talk about things other than yourself, you actually engage people at a higher level. And they will in turn have greater trust for you because you're not just talking about yourself. So there's lots of little techniques for social media that are just perfect for house museums. A lot of people also say, well, our staff is too small. We can't hire a social media person. Well, at HHT, we've, we've set up and we've done exactly the opposite of what people um, say you should do with social media. We have um, a week-long schedule where everyone takes a different aspect of social media and we each bring our own personality and traits and issues um, to that level of social media. So, um, you know, if we have a Spanish-speaking person in the office who's tweeting, they will be in Spanish. We have a person running the Wagner Special Needs Program. Those issues will, will be about um, uh, accessibility and special needs issues. Um, you know, so what it does is it allows variation to expand your audience beyond just where you are right now. So 
as far as I'm concerned, it's a perfect way for a house museum to kind of um, grow their constituency. And develop those conversations. And, and as you say, probably uh, generate some very interesting ideas that might not have come up any other way, just through questions. Oh, there's no question. You know, um, one time, uh, Deb and I were just experimenting with the power of social media. And, uh, and she said, well, you know, why don't we see if, if we can get some group of people that is a reverse affinity group that would normally come to a house. And we sent out a tweet that said, we're looking for yarn bombers. Um, uh, is there anyone interested? And I mean almost automatically we got a handful of tweets back from people that we didn't know. Um, and it was amazing to, for us to realize that all you have to do is strategically target groups and you will have those people interested in what you're doing. And that, so, so it was just, it was a kind of experiment with the power of social media. That's fabulous. Uh, so in, um, we just have a few more minutes. I've got to ask you this question. You knew I would. Do you have uh -oh. a favorite house museum? Um, <laughs> I knew you were going to ask me that. And I will say this, and this is not kind of schmarmy diplomatic. My favorite house museum is the one I'm working on right now. Um, and that is um, that I am so engaged, whether it is, for instance, um, the Latimer Now Project, um, which is funded by the New York Community Trust in Queens, which is this incredible um, kind of rethinking of the Lewis H. Latimer legacy. That's my favorite house. Or if it's the, for instance, um, Morse Jamal Mansion and the immersive theater experience, that one is my favorite house. Or if I'm at the Mabry Hazen House in Knoxville, that's my favorite house. Um, it really is kind of amazing because if you're like me, you walk through these houses and you're just thinking, these are incredible places. I fall in love with these houses. And when I'm working on them and, and, and consulting and helping um, these organizations, that's the house that I love. And so that really is my answer. Sorry, that's not what you wanted, though, is it? No, no, I think, no, that, I, well, it's a very diplomatic answer, but it's, but it's real. I mean, we've spent, oh, you, almost 50 minutes together. I feel that we're good friends, and you wouldn't lie. So, in, in uh, as I just want to say again before we're, we're rushed to the end, uh, Frank uh, has set up a number of ways that you can continue this conversation. Uh, one, uh, one reason I wanted to get him on the show was to uh, open this, his discussion up. I, I personally find them very fascinating uh, and am taking uh, notes and uh, gathering interesting information on behalf of my clients. Uh, and so look at Twisted Preservation, uh, get on LinkedIn uh, for the Anarchist Guide to Historic House Museums, uh, shoot Frank an email, uh, and give him a, a tweet at, uh, at Franklin Bagnoni, because there really is a great conversation to be had, and I think that it, it improves our historic properties. It also improves our communities, and to me, that's the most important reason why we do things. Frank, and and also, Carol, remember, um, live in the audience, whenever I'm presenting, uh, I've been called a menace. I've been called an idiot. I mean, there are people that do not like these ideas, do feel as though um, me questioning the kind of basic paradigm of a house museum means that I'm trying to destroy the house museum. And, of course, that's not true. So, so um, I'm, I am fully open to conversation and dialogue. In fact, in fact, when someone addresses me and, 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 and brings up those kinds of thoughts, 
um, critical thoughts. It actually um, makes me happy because it shows me that somebody gives a damn about these places. And that's ultimately what this is about. You know, the form of anarchy that we're talking about is the kind of, um, it's our response to, to a kind of sleepy, take-it-for-granted approach. I mean, what we want people to say is, this stuff matters. Let's stay engaged. You know, the, the kind of destruction we're talking about when we, when we use this kind of word of anarchy, um, it's not a kind of physical destruction. It's a destruction of a paradigm that's not working. That's the kind of anarchy that we want. And so when people really do produce a dialogue with me and with Deb and Olivia and HHT, that's what we want. That's the whole point of it. I couldn't have said it better, Frank, and that's a wonderful place to to leave our conversation today. Historic house museums are incredibly important. Uh, we have talked within uh, AAM and AASLH and, and other organizations that maybe there are just too many. And, Frank, as you and I have discussed, it's not that there are too many. It's just that that we need to improve the quality and the, the engagement of these, these organizations in their communities. So, uh, Frank, thank you so very much uh, for being on the show today, and we will be back next week with another edition of Museum Life. Remember, you can always reach me at carol.bossert at verizon.net, and I love to hear from uh, my listeners, particularly those uh, who are out outside of the United States and Uganda and Kenya. Uh, very, very interesting to hear from you. So we will be back next week. Until then, I'm Carol Bossert for Museum Life. Thanks for listening. Thank you for tuning in this week to Museum Life. Please join your host, Carol Bossert, again next Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What museum issue is on your mind? Tell Carol at carol.bossert at verizon.net. <laughs>